0: Now, how about using funnel-web spiders as sources of agents? You may have heard of Glenn King's work last week. The Prime Minister certainly did.
1: Glenn King, Professor at the University of Queensland and Chief Scientific Officer of Infensa Bioscience. What sort of bioscience? Infenza Bioscience. Infenza, it's a new company we started, and the company's named after the spider. in Infenza, the Gari funnel-web spider. <laughs> 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 and where do you get your spiders? If we get our spiders from Gari, and the reason for that, funnel-web spiders dig burrows in the ground, as you know, 20, 30 centimetres under. If you're trying to dig them up in Sydney in a soil that's very clay, that's tough. And so... F- Gowrie, being a sand island, it's much easier to dig them up and it's a beautiful place to go as well. What do they do underground all the time? They spend almost all of their day underground and then they wander up to the top of their burrow at night and just wait for things to run past that they can kill.
0: And when you catch them and put them in a tank where you can see them, do they just sit there?
1: So we give them some substrate so they can dig holes. They like to dig holes and they're called funnel webs because they line it with silk. So they will dig some holes in the substrate we provide them and they'll make silk. Are they alone in the holes? Yes, they're alone in the holes.
0: (laughs) I just keep wondering what these animals do and think about all
1: All night. Not a great deal, I suspect. (laughs) And they do it for a long time, and these these spiders can live for 25 years. So Mm. they're sitting in the bottom of a burrow, the females at least, for 20 years plus.
0: Now, there's a great tradition of having various very, very powerful chemicals, Mm -hmm. poisons, you name it, and seeing what they would do, snake bites and all the rest of it. What made you think of funnel webs for your
1: investigations. Yeah, well it wasn't specifically funnery, so the idea was we were trying to make more environmentally friendly insecticide, and of course the world had run out of ideas at that point. And we thought, well what about spiders? They've been working on this problem for 400 million years. They probably solved the problem of how to kill insects a very long time ago, so let's just interrogate the venoms, find out how they did it, and see if we could use that knowledge to make some more eco-friendly insecticides.
0: And when you put that in a
1: ground application, is it taken seriously? (laughs) <laughs> probably not initially until we actually get some molecules. So, we did some screens, and what we were looking for were molecules that would kill insect pests that were harmless to vertebrates. And so, we screened a bunch of venoms, and the great thing was the best ones were in the venom of the Australian funnel web spider. Which turns out, which we didn't know at the time, of course, this was very lucky in, in retrospect, turns out to probably the most complex chemical arsenal in the natural world. There are more than 3,000 compounds in the venom of the Australian funnel web spider for reasons we still don't fully understand. How did that evolve? Exactly. And Well, that's something we've been trying to work. How did it evolve? We, we kind of know how, where the molecules came from. It's still unclear why we need so many. They clearly want redundancy because otherwise they had a few molecules. Insects they're trying to prey on could develop resistance, right? They want to avoid that, so they have a great deal of redundancy. But 3,000 does seem a little bit over the top. It's (laughs) a bit
0: like using our pharmacology or uh, even vaccines where you've got something that's prepared for the future. And I broadcast this a while ago about not a universal vaccine, but some that's got sufficient sites on the molecule so that you'll trigger something in the way of an immune response so that without preparing for it necessarily you've covered your operation. I think
1: that's a good analogy and I I think that's what a a lot of the redundancy is is there for for the future. When
0: I saw you how
1: many years ago was it for the first time? Had you
0: imagined that you might make such wonderful progress and be recognised by the Prime Minister?
1: Oh absolutely not. No, you never do right? You never do. We started the company in 2005 the biggest challenge was how to make these things at scale right? It's fine having the greenest insecticides in the world but if they cost 10 times more than a chemical insecticide farmers aren't going to buy them so the big challenge how do you make them at scale how do you make them cheap and that took us over 10 years to sort out that problem so we started the company 2005 didn't have a product until 2018 so it took some time
0: one of the problems in science especially when you've got low funding and we've had the minister here this morning (laughs) Mm -hmm. i said are you going to call me when you treble the funding for science (laughs) he laughed i wasn't laughing (laughs) but nonetheless when you've got to have such a long lead-up time at any point the whole thing could be called off and the stop-start problem in Australian science is really difficult isn't it?
1: It is really difficult and and, and that's why kind of the model they've developed with uh, Michelle Simmons in terms of the company she started where the government co-invests is a really good model. Rather than make a supply in piecemeal for small grants that get you a little bit of the way and takes a long time, why not invest in the company, try and keep the technology here and be an
0: equity partner? The other thing that people don't quite know about, and this is where prices come in, they see the individual being recognized with Nobel or whatever it is, and as we broadcast a couple of weeks ago, they don't see the team that's supporting it all the way and, you know, some of the young people are doing stopping and starting because uh, young people are not at best given a secure funding, the you know, one-year grants and so on. That's a hurdle,
1: isn't it? It's a huge problem because you have these wonderfully skilled people in the laboratory. If the grant doesn't get refunded, those people are gone. And you lose that corporate knowledge in your laboratory, right? You've got to start again when you get a new batch of people. And that really slows progress down a lot.
0: Well, apart from having jokes about spiders up your sleeve, <laughs>
1: did the minister
0: understand the point of what you were doing?
1: Oh, yeah. Look, he's great. Look, I'm, a, I'm an Ed fanboy, I have to say. I mean, he's been a revelation for this portfolio. He's been, he's been really good. And, 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 yeah. and finally, the
0: uh, apart from the ministers, the application of some of these insecticides how broad
1: yeah, very broad. They work on a whole range of crop pests, ranging from things like thrips in greenhouses to specialty crops like fruits and nuts, all the way to broadacre crops now. So we now have a product you can spray on rice and corn and soybean.
0: See you in another 15 years. Yes, <laughs> look forward to it, Robin. Yeah, 124.
1: <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs> Thank <laughs> You'll you. You'll still be going, I'm sure. <laughs> Cheers, mate.
0: Glenn King, Professor at University of Queensland and winner of the Prime Minister's Prize for Innovation.